Video Game Logic. Today's episode was recorded on June the 30th, 2020. I'm your host, Gaming Psychologist, and with me, as always, feeling angry. Caffeine rage. On today's show, we're going to be having a brief PSA on the recent Me Too stuff. Uh, We're going to be discussing the games we played this last week. We're going to be talking about the June Game Club, which is Tyranny. Um, we will remind you about our next game club game. Amazon is yanking its struggling free to play shooter crucible back into closed beta. And if time allows, we will have a steam discovery queue timestamps will be in the show notes following their respective topics. Hello, rage. Hello. This might be a record for the longest that we've talked (laughs) before starting the show. It's been over an hour. It's been like an hour and a half. Well, I'm so, glad that we had the uh, uh, our Lord and our Master, yeah, uh, recording it. So Craig. we got some good freaking content. Yeah, granted, Craig didn't record the beginning when we were trying to figure out which video game or video games to buy on the Steam sale, but he yeah. did record our entire conversation that we just had about politics and things. So and how goddamn tired we are. Some of it. Yeah. Um, so that will be coming to a Franken episode near you soon ish. Whenever the next time we do Franken show is, I haven't edited one to have ready to go. So, but I mean, we don't have any planned. Anyways, yeah, no planned outages, but we'll see, right? Yeah, you never know. You never know what might happen. But um, you know, we so I wanted to lead just so that we get this out of the way at the top of the show. If for anyone who somehow might have not been paying attention or who's been living under a rock. God bless you. Can I join you please? Um, But there has been a recent wave, I guess of me too stuff happening in the gaming industry. There's been a lot, a lot patients and stories and companies and people re messy to say the least. And, you know, you and I were talking before the show and you said, you don't feel qualified at all. And that I might be. And I was like, I'm not too sure about, about that Starling's better so, than me on this one yeah f- uh, from his gymquisition this week yeah yeah um i would just get angry yeah some of it makes me very angry some of it but it, for different reasons some of it makes me sad some of it makes me scratch my head so we wanted to acknowledge that we know that this is going on but it's the expression drinking through a fire hose comes to mind with how much news there is on so many different levels because you have a lot of to some people they might be well known i don't know but they are a lot of unknowns to me streamers youtubers there's some larger ones that i do recognize like dr disrespect and angry joe um and then yeah uh, yeah and we don't even know some of the particulars about that yeah uh, for both of them actually there's a lot we don't know um you know angry joe has got lawyers involved and Dr. Disrespect is being coy, I guess. I, don't, I mean, there could be contracts and stuff as well that we don't understand. Like, to even, like, briefly touch on it is just like, this is messy. So, it, you know, if you want to engage with each of us or, you know, or us, you know, about it, 
I mean, you know, we every show we say you can contact us here at all the places and that will obviously be in the show notes and will come up again later when we do it at the end of the show. We're not opposed to having conversations about this stuff, but given the nature of its ongoing status and how messy everything is, we don't feel like we can really talk about it with any even even pretend authority. So I think we're just going to hold off. And perhaps in a few weeks or a few months, depending on how some of these things go, we might cover some of the ones for the people we're most familiar with or the organizations or whatever. But for right now, it's just too much speculation, I think, for us to really dive into. Yeah, and honestly, a lot of sorting out everything, which a lot of this is taking place on back channels that honestly were old men and not really follow or never even heard of at this point. A lot of it's on Discord servers that we're not privy to. A lot of it's on social media accounts that we're not privy to. And it's just getting a lot of third party or at best information on top of everything. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, it's just, it's a lot. Pretty much, uh, well, this isn't even the first time we've had a B2 movement in gaming this is the latest one yeah but i mean as as far as i can tell this seems to be the one that's having the largest immediate impact although i wasn't paying as much attention last time that that it that it happened so you know i i kind of i'm gonna have to shrug my shoulders a little bit at that one and say i don't know but this feels big but i mean everything this year just kind of amplifies everything else I don't know. I'm I'm about to start talking about things, so I'm gonna gonna not do that. Just because again, I don't want to dive off into the speculation. So like like we like I said a minute ago, if you if you do want to talk about it right now, you know, hit us up on all those socials that we talk about and put in the show notes. Um, and you know, we can certainly talk to you about it with the knowledge that we have right now. But to put it out on the show, and you know, to just kind of state like oh yes here's our position on this unknown thing we don't feel comfortable doing that and we don't feel you know right in doing that just because it's so much and there's so many unknowns so do you have anything to add to that uh not really i think that about covers it sweet you know i just thought of a way that i could have segued into games that we played i could have said you know we just don't want to present this to you undercooked Speaking of cooked, hey, Rage, why don't we talk about the games we played this week? Yeah, but now you ruined it, which is yeah, pretty much what you always do. Par for the course. And I'm not going to edit around it to make it seem like I had that on the fly and, and you know, said it. So anyways, Rage, we played Overcooked 2 this week. <laughs> briefly. Very briefly. Uh, just what the fuck? Yeah, right? that's so stupid. So we played it on um, Game Pass. Game Pass. And Overcooked 2, if you play it literally anywhere else, on any other platform, any other device, any other anything, you can join a game with your friends over the internet and play with them. On Game Pass, you cannot. The best you can hope for is that you get put together with your friend in matchmaking. You cannot join a party with your friends. Yeah, which I think if we tried long enough, we would have, but then we would have had a couple of randoms as well, which... Honestly, that's not what I wanted. I just wanted to hang out with my friend. And, and failing that, hang out with Jared. 
<laughs> that's fair. That's fair. Uh, and uh, yeah, failed miserably trying to cook something, and we could not. So we we bailed on that like pretty quickly. I played. I I did the tutorial because you have to kind of do the tutorial to get a feel for what's going on. Mm-hmm. And that was fine. And the game seems fun. And but I don't think I'll play yeah, it but- myself. <laughs> Yeah, it doesn't feel like it's balanced around playing by yourself because uh, you're basically bouncing between copies that you can control. Yeah. So, in a, I mean, it, which would permanently hamper your uh, your efficiency because, yeah. even, you know, at best, if you can get them synced up pretty well, you can have one doing one thing while you're controlling the other one actively. But... I mean that would be really difficult to set up, and a lot of the time there there would be downtime where one character can't do something, just waiting. So, yeah, it's just what the hell. Yeah, I might see if I might be able to you know play it locally with like Katie or I was about to say my kid, but that won't no 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 no. You need to record this. <laughs> play uh, try to play uh, with j- my j- kid. J- just uh, add a. After a bit, what the fuck is wrong with you? <laughs> and divorce papers were drawn up that day. Divorce papers? No, that's going to be king. Oh. Adoption papers were drawn up that day. Emancipation papers were drawn up that day. He's going to yell at me. No. <laughs> nope. Actually, I think he would be really good at it if I could get him to sit. Because my kid, I'm pretty sure my kid has ADD. Because he cannot focus on anything until he does. And then it's like hyper laser focus on it. And so if I could get him to sit down and learn it, because there's not a lot of reading in it in terms of how to play. It's all picture stuff as far as I can tell so far. So I think he could get the hang of it. I mean, he's one of us. He's picked up on the fact that for the most part, all PC games share some simple basic controls. And so... You know, I, I bought brick rigs on the Steam sale for us to play together, but at this point he just plays by himself and gets me if he needs some help with something that involves reading. My kid's learning how to read, but he's he's not all the way there yet. And um or if he gets like uh, stuck, slacker. Yeah. Or if he gets like really stuck or you know, something kind of breaks and he's like, I don't know what to do, help. <laughs> so anyways, yeah. Overcooked two. Seems fun. Fucking stupid implementation on Game Pass. Yeah, it's just... Uh, I, I was thinking I was missing something because uh, the typical way you you know, invite someone in these games is either select or, uh, or just hit add. Uh, and the plus sign on the bottom right was just wanting to split my controller, which, oh boy, right? Yeah, that doesn't sound fun. That sounds like challenge mode. Challenge and I, accepted. And it was like, okay, what am I missing? I go search online. No, I'm supposed to be hitting that button. And then you searched some more and saw, oh, the Game Pass version doesn't have this. Never mind the fact that, yep, there is a friend system built into <laughs> Game Pass, right? Yeah. And it works with a, every other game we've played together on Game Pass. Yeah. It's just, what the fuck? Literally, what the fuck? Indeed. So it would make sense given the games that we have remaining if I talk about my first okay. solo game. Um, so yeah, I've, I've bought a couple of games uh, on the Steam sale. 
Although uh, Hydraneer was not on the Steam sale. That was an impulse buy. Um, and Hydraneer is the first one I'm going to talk about. So Hydraneer is a um, mining... It's, it's not really like a survival crafting game. It's a mining and crafting game. Um, where you And the whole thing is like voxel-based. Um, and you, you dig in the dirt. You get resources. You craft things to sell like gold bars tools jewelry stuff like that and you slowly build out your stuff just like in all of these types of games you know you you work towards automation and building your own sort of little housing factory complex there's a few little extra things added in the game is in um active development it doesn't say it's in early access i don't think but like it's an a game that's in like an ongoing development state um and so there's some little things that i could see them developing out more like there's some town systems they it, it, the towns are like medieval themed there's like some towns where they could put some some people or some interesting stuff to add like a little story to it there's like some ruins that you can explore that at this point i think are just there as sort of set dressing but they could do something interesting with that there's some other minor systems like fishing and things like that that could certainly use uh flushing out more um, but it has a gimmick that I'm pretty much right off the bat. When I, when I tell you this gimmick, both you rage and dear listener, you're going to know immediately whether or not you will like it. Okay. Um, it, uh, I, well, I guess it's two parts in one. Number one, the entire game is physics based. Uh, okay. number two, there's no inventory system. Oh. So, so if you you you're you're doing stuff, you're collecting things. You're you're collecting out those nuggets of gold that you want to melt them down. So you collect your nuggets of gold. You put them all in a bucket. You carry the bucket over to the smelter. You smelt them down, and so on and so forth. Uh, when you're close to the town, you can walk a bucket full of nuggets or jewelry or materials up to it. When you start getting farther away to the larger mining plots, then you've got to chuck all that stuff in the back of your truck and drive around and hope that the gods of physics are on your side. Um, uh, I take it that they often are not. So yeah, it's about 50-50 whether or not they're on your side. Sometimes I don't I don't understand how this works. It's I it's got some type of system where I think that if you place objects inside of other objects, like you know, I used a bucket, for example. Like, if you drop uh, your money, you know, the, the gold that you earn or small tools or something that fit inside of a bucket, I think their physics disappear and they kind of stick to the bucket. Um, and then you can put the bucket in the truck and that's supposed to make the bucket physics disappear and it sticks to the truck. But it doesn't always work. So sometimes you can crash your truck and everything stays stuck to it like it was made out of glue. And other times you crash the truck and shit just goes flying everywhere. And certain objects that aren't completely encapsulated within the container, like tools you can make. You can make things like knives and swords and, um, you know, axes and things like that. Um, You know, some basic tools and then different types of jewelry. Like I said, rings, you can make necklaces, you can make things of different sizes. Um, You know, some things are larger than the buckets that you can put them in to carry them around. And so sometimes their physics will disappear and they'll stick to the bucket and other times they won't. And I can't figure out what it is that makes that happen. So it's always a little bit of a gamble. If you're going to try and put something in a truck, 
if stuff falls out of the bucket while you're walking around, it's not that big of a deal. But the truck is frustrating. Um, but honestly, that I could deal with a lot more. Uh, it's it's the no inventory part that really can make things fucked up because not only does it force you to interact with this physics system for better or for worse, it has its charms, but um, with no inventory system and no way to really carry multiple things, uh, you're having to repeat every action ad nauseum. So uh, at, at the beginning, you're, you're sort of just panning for, for gold. You dig a little dirt uh, by the riverbed, you put that in a, in a bucket or like these big panning baskets, you drop it in the river and then you take a brush and you like, it's supposed to be like a, a sift and you sift through it. And then it, it, if you get any materials, like they pop up in, in the bucket that you just used, and then you can do stuff with those. Um, and that's, that sounds like, okay, fine. But literally you have to pick up a shovel, dig some dirt, dump that in the pan drop the shovel, pick up the pan, drop the pan in the river, pick it up again, sit it down on the land, pick up the brush, sift through the dirt. If you got materials, you have to pick them all up individually and put them in another container to either smelt down. If you're going to smelt them, you put them in the big like smelting. I don't know what they're called. It's like a big cauldron for smelting that goes on um, a big open fire thing. A smeltery. I, I don't know what it's called. Um, but you know, you put it in that, or if you're just going to sell the raw gold nuggets, then you can just, you know, set them aside to take up to, to sell to the jeweler station or whatever. So that sounds tedious and it certainly can feel tedious. It also has a little bit of a charm that I don't quite know how to explain. The first few hours I was playing when I had sort of a small operation, I was just listening to some relaxing music and chilling out eating a snack, sifting for gold. And it had this nice like prospector feeling to it, which I think possibly only people like me can appreciate. But then you hit this point where you have expanded a little bit and you want to pan for, you know, for gold in multiple pans. And that is basically impossible to do without setting up your first level of automation, which the Hydroneer, the, the title, everything runs on water. So your your truck runs is water powered. Um, all of the later things that you can get, like conveyor belts and automated mining tools and stuff, to speed this process along and you know automate it, it all runs on water. Um, so you know, okay, you think to yourself, I will set up a station to do that. I will build uh, a thing because there's no inventory system. It makes this frustrating, and I definitely did not like this. Because the experimentation process is really difficult because you have to go to the store. You pick up every single individual pipe that you want to buy. You buy it. You carry it over to where your water supply is going to be, which I was using like just a little river, like a creek that's right next to the starting town. And you you place it down. And then you go back to the store and you buy the next one and you go and you place it down and so on and so forth. Trying to figure out how the water system works. The game doesn't have any good tutorials in it. Um and so the experimentation process, which can be fun and enjoyable in, in games like Factorio or Minecraft or Space Engineers or whatever, because there's no inventory system, you can't just pick everything up and then kind of try it again, becomes frustrating as hell. Because it's like, oh God, now that didn't work, or I messed this up, 
So now I've got to break down the whole thing, stick all the pieces on the riverbank, and start again. I did get the automation system sorted out to begin automating my process. Like I set up like a row of um, spigots that I could turn them all on and off at the same time. So I could fill up a bunch of sifting pans with dirt, turn on the spigot to fill the pans with water, turn it back off, and then I could sift all of the pans. That sped the process up a little bit. And then I earned enough money to drive to the next town over, which had some better gear, some automated stuff, uh, like an automated drill and an automated uh, like sifting machine. It, it, you don't have to use the pans anymore. Like You can just use a conveyor belt or you can hand feed it to run dirt into it, and then it spits out any resources that you would get. So gold, gems, iron, etc. So it's just like this weird... Like, the whole game is built around this physics engine and you not having an inventory system. And if what I have said sounds like it has no redeeming qualities, you will hate this game. If what I have said sounds like that there could be some charming qualities to it that you might find enjoyable or that you might find relaxing or that you would appreciate the challenge for, you will probably like it. Physics glitches aside, the rest of the game is really solid. Um... You know, its background track is very soft and soothing, promotes a very relaxing atmosphere. There are no survival mechanics. There's no combat. Um, The game is really the the first, you know, sort of shop where you buy things like everything there is really inexpensive and you can get stuff to start customizing and creating like a little like place for yourself, like a hut with a a cot. And it, it does have a very sort of the way that we sort of will um, romanticize things from history, sort of that romanticized view of like the, um, you know, the person marching down to the gold rush, you know, the the way that we, we think of that, not the way that it actually was, but the game sort of presents itself to you in that way. The art style is great. Everything looks, you know, medieval, medieval sort of castles and towns, but there is this, this technology. I, I don't know if hydropunk, is a thing, um, but that's what kept coming to my mind while I was playing. It is now. <laughs> yeah, it is now. While I was playing and looking at the different, you know, machinery and equipment and stuff, it does have a very charming atmosphere. And like the first, like I said, three or four hours that I played, um, I, I did find it very charming. And then I hit sort of this middle point where I'm trying to build up some infrastructure and it just has kind of become frustrating. And I have watched some stuff from people who have played the game farther. And it looks like that once you build up into, you know, a warehouse or have enough money to get some of the larger resource fields, um, the first one you get is free. It's like a riverbank that's got two sides to it. There's another one. And a river runs through it. And a river runs through it. There's another one that is very cheap to access that is, is larger and deeper. Um, that's another thing, another game mechanic. Like the deeper you go, the larger the sort of resource chunks become. That way you don't have to spend as much time picking up teeny tiny little golden nuggets to smelt them all down. Um, but pretty soon after that, it's like 6,000 gold for this big plot of land. And 6,000 gold is a lot um, when you don't have an inventory system and everything that you, like the most that you can yeah, uh, sell like a bucket for, like a bucket full of goods for is like a hundred gold, because you can't put any more in the bucket because of the physics system and it all falls out. So, 
you well, know, simple. You take a bucket full of a hundred and you put it in another bucket. <laughs> Buckets all the way down. And then you put uh, another bucket in you know, that bucket. So you have two buckets of a hundred in one bucket. So it's now 200. You take that bucket, put in another bucket with another bucket of 200. So now you're up to 400. Damn son. Figuring it out. And, and something that, you know, I, I can just sort of hear in the back of my brain, like somebody like raising their hand and being like, um, if it's got physics and buckets, why don't you just dump the bucket out? And the physics for dumping a bucket are always fucked up. Um, unless you, if you're dumping more than like three things, they just sort of fly everywhere when you dump a bucket, which is, uh, you know, frustrating trying to chase down my golden nuggets and my rings. So I, it's certainly not like a horrible game. Um, Like I've, I've had, I think more criticisms and praise for it. And what I have discussed about it. Um, I, I genuinely though have found it charming. So if you're someone like me and you tend to agree with things that I recommend, and you also like this type of game, I think you'll like it, but if if my description of it has made it sound just unbearable, it probably will be for you. I mean, it sounds a lot like Astroneer, only hydro-powered. Yes, Astroneer, though, does have some basic inventory system. Like, it's all sort of physic- mm-hmm. physical-based, but you can stick stuff on your pack. You can't do that here. Yeah, true, but I'm talking about how it's uh, uh, more... It, you're, Outside of that handful of inventory slots, you're kind of piling everything up and having to deal with the physics engine. Yeah. Yeah, that is very true. And then have stuff fall through the fucking world, because of course. I haven't had anything fall through the... Nope, that's not true. I've had one thing fall through the world. I was trying to figure out the fishing mechanics. Um, I mean, the actual fit... Like, if you pick up a fishing rod and you go fishing, it's stupid easy. It's 100% timing-based, like... But it's all it's the same. It's like, wait 10 seconds, click the button... When you hear the fish like rustling the line, you got a fish. Bing, bang, boom. All done. But you can also buy fish traps. Um, so I thought, oh, fit, you know, I, I'll buy a fish trap and I'll have just like a little bit of passive income there in the beginning while I'm figuring all this stuff out, slowly building up some money. Um, and I, I caught my first fish. I picked up the trap to get the fish. And when I placed the trap back down, it fell through the riverbed and I never saw it again. But as far as I can tell, well, look at like, this way. The, uh, you just look at this way. You just scared the hell out of some Chinese player playing this game. Hi, oh, but yeah, that's Hydraneer. So uh, I guess it's on to me. So this is going to be a fun one. So I got a DS uh, actually last week. Uh, one of the actually, it's the only model of handheld that Nintendo is still making, not counting the Switch, is the. 2D, uh, or sorry, the new 2D XL, and it comes with a game. And I picked up a couple others. I'm not quite ready to play or to talk about those yet, but I'll talk about the packing game, which it's a little game you probably never heard of, Mario Kart. <laughs> <laughs> What's that? Uh, it's basically it's that game of okay, so why is Mario racing the guy that keeps kidnapping his girlfriend to bang her in this castle, right? Because <laughs> they're cool bros. Yeah, because he's shit to Luigi. 
Yeah, so, that's true. So Mario Kart 7, it's the, well, it's now two versions back if you count the shitty mobile version or one version back if you don't. Because there's a version on the Switch, Mario Kart 8. Uh, this is the handheld version, Mario Kart uh, 7. It's It's been a long time since I played Mario Kart. I never was a hardcore Mario Kart player. I uh, didn't have a, a SNES growing up. And uh, the racing games I played on the N64, which was the last major Nintendo console I owned. Uh, yeah. Uh, well, I'm sorry. I'm trying to think. Uh, the... I did have a, a Game Boy Color, but yeah, I just never, I fell off the Game Boy line and I fell off Nintendo consoles at about the same time. So, but I never played Mario Kart 64. Uh, seriously, I played it a little bit in emulation and I think I played it over at a friend's house once or twice. Uh, but this is actually the most I've played Mario Kart in, I think, ever, actually. And it is a fun game, all right? I will give it that. I've pretty much beat all eight of the major uh, Grand Prix uh, on the medium difficulty. I pretty much skipped the easy difficulty right away because I found it a little too easy. And uh, the hard difficulty is where things get a little bit crazy because uh, well, Mario Kart is famous for one thing, screwing over the player, especially screwing over the player if they're doing well. And yeah, Blue Shell is a real uh, thing, huh? <laughs> Indeed. Uh, for those who've somehow never played or heard of Mario Kart, Mario Kart is a kart racing game. Actually, it kind of kicked off the whole kart racing subgenre, didn't it? It was one of the first, if not the first. It was uh, the first ma- one that I'm aware of. Yeah, it was the first like major kart racing game where Mario uh, and pretty much the, all the main cast uh, from the Mario universe race carts and pick up power-ups and throw them at one another. And there's a very famous amount of rubber banding in this. We've talked about rubber banding before, but this is slightly different. One in that the power-ups you get are more dependent on your position than random chance. So if you're in the top three, for example, you're only going to get like turtle shells and maybe a banana peel and then occasionally something more powerful like a bomb. Okay. And the further back in the field you go, the more powerful pickups you'll get. So you'll start seeing stars. You'll see golden mushrooms there, uh, uh, speed ups that you could constantly reuse until it wears out. Uh, you'll see uh, just super mushrooms, which are pretty big speed boost. You'll uh, then see the occasional blue shell, which the blue shell, fuck the blue shell. Uh, it is one of those most infamous weapons in gaming, if not the most infamous, because it you know, targets this lead player. But Mario Kart 7, they changed the blue shell. <laughs> uh, usually, the blue shell, you know, uh, drink its Red Bull, grow some wings, and fly off and uh, fuck up the uh, lead person's day. But no, in Mario Kart 7, it's a normal shell that gets launched, which means it can fuck up anyone's day. That's ahead of you, which that's a an, an interesting change, huh? Yeah, they that is had has been undone in Mario Kart Eight. Yeah, see, I didn't know about Mario Kart Eight undoing that. Mario Kart Seven, uh, the blue shell goes along the ground like a normal shell, but it also goes through the middle of the track, and because oh. of the D- okay, yes, never mind. It is the Mario Kart Eight. I misunderstood what you meant when you said it's a normal shell. 
Yeah, it it follows the center of the course to get to the uh, lead. Then it flies up in the air and uh, dive bombs them. Yeah. Yep, yep. Uh, Mario Kart 7, I think it introduced a couple power-ups of the Tanuki Tail, which is just two, uh, two weeks in a row that I've been talking about Tanuki Tails. Hey. Wink, wink, nudge, nudge. Uh, where you're able to bat away uh, uh, shells launched at you, with the exception of the blue uh, shell. I think there is a method that if you are quick about it, it could use a, a super mushroom to get away from it. Yeah. But then you're holding on to a super mushroom. But the thing is that because it's a DS game, uh, this is where uh, kind of the strategy comes in uh, to it, where uh, the lower screen is the map where you can see players. It's not a full screen or not a full map of the course like uh, the older Mario Kart games because some of the tracks are also uh, segmented roads instead of a full-on you know, race course. It's You're going through different sections of a road to account for the different laps. Like one of the Rainbow Roads, which there's two of in this game, and some uh, oldies but goodies also show up in this game of uh, tracks. Uh, one of the Rainbow Roads is a linear route that you go through, and like I said, it's JFE'd up into three sections to account for the three laps. The other one is a repeat from one of the previous games, which I'm blanking on which one it is, where it is your traditional race course. I'm not sure if that's new in Mario Kart 7 or if that's uh, something that uh, was carried over from a previous version, but that's something I never encountered in playing you know, the old, old Mario Karts. So it could just be yeah, uh, from a previous one that I'd never played. But I actually kind of prefer those because there's a lot more strategy involved uh, where you have to know the course a little bit better. Uh, there are obvious shortcuts that, that you can see, but then there's some uh, not so obvious ones that you have to be paying attention to the map to even have a chance to spot. Like uh, one of the road courses, uh, if you look on the map, you can see a line of columns that is you could pick it out on the course or on the racing map or the racing screen, but it's pretty hard to target that. But uh, using the map, you can kind of line it up a lot better. Or one of the or one of the attacks that you could get is uh, uh, a bloop bloop. Uh, will fly in front of you and uh, in front of your enemies and uh, cover their screens with ink. But because of the dual screen, you could uh, kind of go by map with this and be able to try to drive a little bit better than you normally could. Mm-hmm. So you know another way to use the dual screen. But also you're able to see where everyone is and also what power-ups they have. So you know if a blue shell is coming. So there's been a couple times I saw uh, an opponent with a blue shell. I hit the brakes, let uh, some poor sap get ahead of me, and they get the blue shell. Right? Yeah. It's good thinking right there. Yeah. Yeah, that's some galaxy brain stuff, right? <laughs> yes, indeed. <laughs> I mean, I've enjoyed my time with it. It's a download game, so I have it on my DS no matter where I'm going or what I have in the uh, uh, in the game slot. So it's been a nice pickup and play. I, I, I'm not sure if I would have bought it uh, outright because, like I said, I'm not a Mario Kart fan. And I'm just now starting to unlock uh, some of the stuff. There's coins that you can pick up, which, I, uh, which have been there since the you know, original Mario Kart on the uh, SNES. But it's also a progression system this time around. So, as you hit plat or certain milestones of coins gathered, uh, 
on your overall account, you'll unlock a new cart part. No, oh, that's something that's different. I'll have to get to. Uh, but uh, but also, picking up coins imparts a slight speed boost up to the maximum of 10. But you also lose coins by getting hit by attacks or uh, getting hit a little too hard by by a, another racer. Uh, typically, if you're going uh, kind of if there's a big speed differential, you'll uh, spin out and uh, lose a couple of coins. So there's a incentive to try to grab a few coins at least, but they also respawn pretty quickly. But here's the interesting thing I found was that the uh, the customization is more on the cart side than, it, or I should say, the stat side of things is more on the cart side than it is the racers. The racers impart some stat weight to uh, the carts, but not that much or not enough to really swing things as far as I could tell. Uh, so smaller racers like Toad, um, uh, Yoshi, uh, Koopa Troopa. Thank you. Sorry, I can resist. Uh, are considered small racers, so they're lighter uh, and could go a little bit faster. And there's a slight stat change, but not a huge amount. The medium racers are uh, impart a bit more weight, but as, which affects acceleration. Uh, but they typically have a more top speed because they have a bigger engine, supposedly, I guess. But where things kind of change on this is that it's more what cart you're using and cart parts you're using. So there's three categories. There's the cart itself, the wheels you're using, and then the uh, the glider portion for or some uh, racetracks. Uh, you take the air and some of the shortcuts you're actually uh, flying through the air uh, off boosts or uh, just the way that the map is designed. So building out your cart into a way that complements the race course means more than picking out uh, the proper racer. And I'm using proper in sarcasm quotes because we all know Luigi's the best, right? I'm a toad guy myself. Well, well, well he is the superior Mario brother. Oh, yeah, for sure. Although I do have to admit, I do like Bowser. Mostly because uh, it, you don't hear the same uh, repeated sound tr- uh, 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 bits from him. He just roars. And you actually hear the uh, sound clips quite a lot because uh, there's a mechanic in this where you're able to build up many boosts by, of course, by uh, drifting. They changed it up from the previous Mario Kart a little bit where I, I know this one because I looked it up a little bit. Was original in Mario Kart Six? There was an issue where people were snaking all the time, where they would constantly drift and build up uh, uh, boost. Well, they removed that, and now boost uh, from drifting is coupled to the actual course on how sharp the cur- the turn is. So, the sharper the turn, the more quickly you build up your boost. From uh, no boost to blue spark to orange spark uh, to release after you finish drifting, which I think is actually a positive change. Uh, but they also made it so that you, yep, you have to pay more attention to where you do boost because there's a few courses that you know you try to drift in the wrong corner, you're going to go off. And this is more apparent whenever you start getting to the higher difficulty of 150 cc where you start unlocking the uh, the extra characters. So beating all the courses or getting uh, trophies in all of them unlocks the me character. And then 
all the 150cc courses, all eight of them, have a different character that you can unlock. And then there's ghosts that you could race, that you could download. There's street pass that you could uh, pick up people uh, to race against. Uh, I mean, I actually enjoyed it a lot more than I expected. I mean, to be fair, it's going, it's sometimes fucking infuriating where, yeah, okay, I'm in a flying section. Oh, I just got hit by a turtle shell, so <clears throat> I'm uh, so I'm going to plummet to my death now. And now I get reset back a bit. Uh, oh, and now I got hit by a fucking turtle shell again, and now I'm going to roll off the course and get reset again, right? But that's Mario Kart for you. Yeah. I'm in this weird space on Mario Kart. Like, I enjoy Mario Kart, but I'm... For the, for the people that I usually play it with, I'm like, fucking best, no contest, they can never beat me, so they don't like to play it with me. And I'm not like an amazing Mario Kart player or something, but Mario Kart is primarily marketed towards like families and children. And kids are not the best at video games most of the time. And then like, you know, I played it with my wife and in-laws and they're not good at video games. They basically never play video games. So it's interesting. I'm not sure if we could do online multiplayer uh, uh, without just random uh, people, but I'm not sure if you even have Mario Kart 7. I don't. I have Mario Kart 8 on the Wii U, and then I have whatever Mario Kart is on the uh, the Wii. Like, I've mm-hmm. still got that one. I mean, I'm not going to say I'm going to beat you, but I think I'll put up more of a fight. Oh, yeah, for sure. And I'm not, like, trying to say I'm some kind of, like, amazing Mario Kart player. But it's like I'm, I'm, I play video games all the time. So against people who don't play video games, it's, like, no contest. And so I never I, – I, my experience with Mario Kart – nearly my entire life has always been very colored because I don't get the cool power-ups at the back of the pack. And I experience having to deal with the stupid fucking blue shell all the time and like being the person who's like, oh yeah, I'm just going to power slide around every corner and get turbo boost. So it's like this really weird experience that I've had with Mario Kart. The, The most that I ever played it with people who were closer to my skill level was in college. But even most of my roommates, I mean, they played video games like casually for the most part, but I didn't have anybody that I was friends with then that was like, air quotes, a hardcore gamer like me. So I don't know. I've always just had this weird experience with Mario Kart. The Mario Kart that I liked the most out of every Mario Kart I've ever played is Double Dash. Because Double Dash, you can play cooperatively with someone. It's, uh, it's, I don't know if you're familiar with Double Dash or not, but yeah, it's the one where it's two characters and you're able to swap back and forth, right? Yeah, and and playing like by yourself, like you know, you just control like both, and it plays pretty much exactly the same. But you can play with another person, and one person is a driver, and one person handles the items, and those people can swap back and forth. But I would play that with, you know, my mom or my friends when I was a kid who didn't play games as much, and then that made it more enjoyable because we were working as a team. Yeah, that's the one on GameCube. Yeah, yeah, I'm surprised that they haven't actually carried that over. uh, any thinking about it you know a, a cooperative more cooperative experience yeah because there's also the battle mode where you're able to you know go around and collect balloons and uh, it's a, essentially a, a, a vehicular combat uh, trying to collect enough balloons to be able to win the match i'm just uh i'm saying here uh looking at this as well I'm trying to think if there's anything else i'm talking uh, oh uh, Actually, the mode I've enjoyed most is the least Mario Kart uh, mode in it, and that's the time trials. Be able to go into each uh, 
a track, not have to worry about fucking blue shells or stuff screwing me over, and just race for best time. Download some ghosts uh, from the internet and just go at it, you know? Yeah, kind of play Mario Kart right now. Yeah, well, like I said, I grabbed a, a DS uh, and it came with it, so actually it was a pretty good deal. Sweet. I've been, I've been grabbing some uh, games off eBay, so I'll have a, probably a couple more uh, DS games to talk about, depending on if I pick up any more as well. Yeah, same for me, except for Switch games with my re- recent Switch purchase. Yeah, um, I'm, yeah, I'm looking at a couple more I want to pick up. Mm-hmm. So is that does does that do you for Mario? Kart? Yeah, yeah, I think so. I mean, it's I've had a lot of fun, but it's also a source of frustration. But it's also right. uh, because it's a download game. I, yeah, it's always there for me. And I did kind of get a 32 gig uh, memory card as well for my DS because, of course, I did. Right. Right. I bought a 128 gig memory stick or uh, micro SD card for my Switch because I plan on going mostly digital. I bought a couple of games on eBay to get me started because mm-hmm. I missed the the sale by like one day, the big sale that Nintendo had. But yeah. I mean, I'm going to go all digital here on out. Um, but I, as a quick addendum to Nintendo stuff from last week, I talked about Animal Crossing a bit um, and it's grown on me this past week. It's one of those weird things, whether it's like once you are in it for uh, a few days and actually start building some stuff up, the game really opens up to you. And I suppose that's part of just like the natural progression with, I think, again, the intended audience being people who don't play games as much to draw them in. You don't want to dump those types of players into this overwhelming environment. But for someone more like me, it's like, okay, this is really boring. Where's the rest of the content? But I've got like a few more people living on my island and I've got a museum and the museum is really cool. And there's some other like neat stuff that I'm finding more and more enjoyable. So wasn't on my list. I'm not going to like go super in depth into it, but just like a quick addendum to last week where I was kind of like, well, it's not fun, but it's relaxing. Well, it's getting more fun. And also it's it's still relaxing. So um, but yes, the other game that I actually played this week that I'm going to talk about, Autonauts. I bought this on the sale. Um, like day one, like I put together my games for me, you know, package and, uh, and, uh, you know, purchased that and started playing it. Autonauts is amazing. It's like a very cutesy version of a mix of, of like a Factorio type. And then one of the, one of the programming type games. So there is there are no like survival mechanics as far as i can tell there's not like a fail state i mean maybe you could fail if you like seriously fucked up but it's just happy cute music everything is very cute and cartoony um you're dropped onto a planet that is sort of is that is randomly generated and you can you can set some basic parameters like map size and change a few game options but i just kind of went with the default whatever from my first game to get the hang of it you get dropped down on this planet and you've got like a little robot advisor that teaches you some of the basics of the game and you're building a colony for people to come live on and for you to take care of them on the colony. And you start out doing everything very slowly and manually, you know, pick up a stick, dig some dirt with the stick, uh, you know, take a, oh, you found a rock. Use that to crudely chop down a tree, put the stick and the rock together to make an ax, you know, so on and so forth. Um, but the whole, like the, the major thing of this game's automation and progression is you create robots 
that you then program to do tasks for you. And that's how you automate things is by the programming of these robots. Um, and the robots start out pretty basic. Um, you use some simple things to put them together. They have a limited number of commands that they can follow and set up basic routines for them. And they have like a very small battery, so they have to be recharged pretty frequently by you. They're like, it's really cute. They're like little, they look like little wind up toys. And like you wind up the thing on their back and then they get going. Um, and as they start to wind down, like they flash red and they go really slow and then they just stop because the, you know, the little windy toy thing is stopped. It's very cute. Um, and as you progress, you get um, better robots that have larger batteries and larger memories and have larger like storage for collecting items and they can move faster and things like that. There's also an upgrade system where you can upgrade individual bots. Um, but I'm making the transition now from like the level zero basic bots to the level one bots. And the level one bots are just like mwah, chef kiss night and day better. But anyways, it, it's a simple programming system where you basically set them up to record your actions. So if you want to get a bot that chops down wood, you like select it with the, the, and then go into like its programming menu. You click record and tell it to follow you around and, um, you know, you click to pick up the axe, you click to go over the tree and chop it down. You do that. And then you click to pick up the log and then click to take and drop it off at the storage location. And you can, it like, it shows up as a series of directions and this bot's programming and you can make changes to it. You can rearrange the steps. If you accidentally misclick, you just delete the misclick and the bot will uh, not have to deal with that. They've got very good pathing, um, so that they don't, I, I haven't seen it, them get stuck or confused at all, um, unless it's something that specifically I have messed up with the programming. There's some simple commands that you can put in, like repeat, you know, forever, or repeat X number of times, or repeat until conditions are met, and then go do a different task. And the better, the, the more the, or the larger the bot memory gets, the more complex things that you can program. So, like I said, I'm transitioning from level zero, level one bots. So I, I basically have to have two bots to really complete every task. Like yeah, there's just not enough memory to assign one bot to do collection, um, uh, a manufacturing stage and then storage. Like for example, trees, you chop down the trees and get logs and then you um, take the logs to a sawmill and turn them into boards um, and then store the boards. Like one level zero bot can't complete all of those tasks you need two but the level one bot can complete all of those tasks so it, it's letting you do streamlining um the ultimate game is or the ultimate goal so far is to get colonists and um level up the colonists uh needs uh it's maslow's hierarchy of needs if you're familiar with that um it, basically for anyone who's not familiar in psychology, there's this idea that we have sort of these levels of needs and our most basic needs have to be met before we can work towards meeting more abstract ones. So the need for food and shelter is like number one. And if we don't have that, then, you know, we're boned. And then up from that is companionship and love and more sort of abstract ideas like goals and dreams and things like that. And it, that's a pyramid that goes up to a point at the top. And so you get some colonists and you're starting them up that path. And so right now I'm only on the second level. It's food and, and shelter is the, the two that I'm providing for these colonists. 
and they give you love. Yes, love, W-U-V. It's like this little pink heart. And, and when you get their love, you can spend that on research and certain upgrades to work your way up the tech tree. And everything about this game is wonderful and lovely, and I absolutely love it. I haven't encountered any any issues with pathing, any issues with like weird crashes or glitches or bugs that haven't been caused by me screwing something up with the programming of their uh, their AI. So it's basically uh, Animal Crossing without the cro- crippling debt. Yes. Yes, indeed. Um, and the game has a ton of depth and complexity to it. Um, I'm still in, in the pretty early game, despite having played for a few hours. Like it, it just took figuring out some of the nuance. But you can build like complex houses and factories, and there are things like trains and these transportation systems to move your bots around and to move yourself around. And there's a whole system of upgrades for increasing your inventory or bot inventory or you know just all kinds of stuff but you know i'm still fairly early in the game i've played it for about six hours or no sorry about five hours um and i'm still discovering new things but i'm loving every second of this game don't you mean loving it um you're right no i'm loving it i'm loving every second of this game so autonauts and it just got a big update called Age of Enlightenment like a couple of weeks ago. I have no idea what that added to the game. My only experience is with it as it is now. But supposedly that was a pretty big overhaul to some stuff. So if you have played this before and you know for some reason it didn't click with you, I don't know if the update changed enough that you should give it another look, but I'm loving the heck out of this. So Loving. <laughs> I'm loving the heck out of this. So yeah, I don't know. It's two thumbs up. Which uh, is the end of the games we played. Indeed. So let's go talk about another game we played over on oh, the game. Uh, we mean mostly you. Well, you played it too. Yeah. Not nearly uh, as much, but still. Indeed. Uh, game Club, for anyone who's joining us for their first ever Game Club, uh, is where Rage and I actually intentionally play the same game at the same time. We often have different tastes, likes, dislikes, etc., and we approach uh, games in very different ways. Indeed. And even when we do play the same game, it's oftentimes not at the same time. So for June, uh, we played Tyranny, which at one point was free on uh, Twitch Prime. Um, obviously, with the Steam sale, it's currently on sale. If listening to this makes you want to buy it, um, I don't know what it's on fit sale for. should look that up. Uh, it's 50% off. So the base game, which is what we have played, is 15 bucks. Looks like you can get the deluxe edition for 20 bucks, And then there is some DLC. A gold edition for 20, uh, sorry, sorry, 25 bucks, which has all the DLCs and the upgrade pack to the deluxe edition, the portrait pack. So, you, you know, right. Right. So, uh, Tyranny, this is a CRPG set in a world where basically Sauron won. Yes, you play as a bad guy. Not specifically the bad guy, but a bad guy. It's developed by Obsidian Entertainment, so the same people who made Fallout New Vegas. Um, they made Pillars of Eternity. Uh, I mean, they've done a bunch of stuff, but that's like probably the two biggest things that someone would know them for. Uh, they did Dungeon Siege 3, so, yeah, that's something that they, eh, uh, 
of course, uh, the uh, South Park games. Oh, I didn't know that Obsidian made the South Park games. Yeah. That's they cool. were the developer, uh, or a co-developer with uh, Ubisoft. Very cool. Yeah, I did not know that. Um, not the biggest fan of those games, but I recognize that they are good games. Anyways, so yeah, Obsidian made this. Um, and as such, it is extremely story-heavy extremely on the front end. I mean, let's just go ahead and get this out of the way. Rage, you didn't like it. Uh, I recognize that it's a good game. I think it's the same problem you had last month with Yakuza, Mm -hmm. where I recognize it's a good game. It's just, it wasn't for me at this time. Because, holy shit, they front end you. This is basically the opposite of Divinity Original Sin, where, you know, they uh, Divinity Original Sin is another CRPG, where they kind of slowly lead you in, and it your focus changes as kind of the twist and turns of the story goes on. This there is a fucking novel in the opening scroll plus Wikipedia links to all the big names. Yeah, and, which I and, loved. Yeah, I spent like uh, ninety minutes going through the character creator and the um like the backstory thing. Yeah, and it's just it was too much for me. It just at some point, it's just, you know, I kind of hit a buffer overflow and just everything just became meaningless. It could have may as well have been gibberish, which I realize CRPGs are text heavy, but I never had one just bash me over the head this hard with lore from the very beginning. And it's and it's that all that shit is really important, too, because yeah. you you make the, the way that. OK, so the way that opens the game. Obviously, you you go through the character creator. You're playing a bad guy, you know, in Sauron's army. And the opening sort of crawl where you're making choices about events that happen is telling the story of how Sauron finished the conquest of the final holdout. Like, he's conquered the entire continent except for this one place that's been, like, protected by this mountain range. And so now he's like, you know what? I want to conquer everything. And so the preamble is you going through doing the conquering from like a very top level position. Like it'll be like you get to this town and it's like, um, it'll give you two options. How do you want to approach the town this way or that way? And that will have huge consequences later on, uh, changing potentially massive story details and giving you things like reputation increases or decreases Certain characters can can be uh, can die. Um, certain alliances can be completely lost if you make mm, the wrong choice. That's not right. If if you make a choice that that sort of wipes them out, like there's a you know a, a squad of like elite warriors that um, for one of the factions that de- that you get a choice of like how to use them, and depending on how you use them, like they can die and then be gone and not show up in your game. Like some of this stuff I discovered as I played some of it, I had a quick perusal through the wiki to help pad out some of my knowledge. Cause I didn't finish. I played for like 30 hours. I didn't finish it. Um, yeah. I only played for a handful of hours because I got to a point where it just was too much for me. And I just, I had no idea what the fuck. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and I think it's just, uh, you know, where everything is kind of gone crazy right now. I just was not in the mood for this type of game, so it's just whew. right. 
So let, let's, I'll, I'll want to bring up sort of the, the big areas of the game and we can discuss them and then just sort of go final thoughts. I mean, I'm not averse to talking about spoilers, but I don't know if talking about the individual story plot is going to make much of a difference because it's, it's, it would be confusing at best for anyone listening who hasn't played it. And like, also it's very personalized because your opening area it goes through a quite a change just because yeah, I could have made a different choice. Uh, like uh, uh, one thing I do remember is like the Edith of Fire who said it. And I remember getting a lot of uh, praise from one uh, of the armies because I said it. Yeah. Instead of uh, pawning it off to somebody else to do. Yeah. That's, I think that's the disfavored. Because I, I, I did make that same choice. Yeah, which we should at least go into uh, who the character is. You're, what was it, Fate Binder? Yeah, you're called a Fate Binder. So it, there's like, you know, there, there's a hierarchy. And I'm just going to keep calling him Sauron. So Sauron is obviously at the top. And then there's this second layer called Archons. And they have like vast, like extremely special and powerful magical abilities of of some kind or another. One of the Archons is like a judge, and he has this special group of people called Fate Binders who answer basically to no one except for this specific guy and Sauron. Um, and you're one of the Fate Binders, so you're one of his special guys. Think of it kind of like Judge Dredd. Um, you are the law. Like, literally. There are certain- I thought it was, I'm the law! I'm the law! There, there are places in the game, like plenty of them, where that happens. I don't remember very many in the first act, if any. Um, no, actually, I remember a couple. But that comes up over and over again as you visit these areas. They're like, oh, yes, a fate binder. Please help us decide this thing. Which I, I always found that very cool. So, yeah, that's who you are. You're a fate binder. You're kind of like third tier. Like, I guess you would be like Sulu, right? Because it, it's Kirk, Spock. And then Sulu, like, was the next one to always get the con. So you're, you're Sulu in this hierarchy. Yeah, I guess that would be one way to say it, at least. Yeah. But anyways... Uh, personally, I would uh, prefer to say Data, since we're, if we go uh, next generation. Sure, we can be... Yeah, we can be Data. That's <laughs> yeah, you I'm like okay. that one a lot better, huh? I mean, I'm okay with either or. I like, I like Sulu, but I also like Data. Anyways, so yeah, that's, that's who you are. Um, anyways, continue. You were... I was explaining that, but you were making a point. Uh, but anyway, one of the magical things about this realm is that uh, the big bad, was it? Uh, Sauron, uh, I think it's Sauron, uh, has the ability to uh, create magical edicts where yeah. you read them uh, and the magic of the world says, okay, this has to happen. And at least the opening part of the game, it surrounds taking out one of the last major strongholds before this timer runs out that you enacted yourself and basically dooming everyone in the valley if you don't. Yeah, you, you show up and uh, Sauron is mad that his like major generals are not able to defeat this, you know, air quotes, puny rebel force. And so you show up and you cast this magic that says, uh, this magical edict that says that if someone hasn't claimed a, a, like a specific tower within X number of days everyone in the valley dies like that's you know air quotes the good guys and the bad guys and that sort of kicks off the story 
and then you solve that problem basically you're the one who takes over the tower um and you go through that that opening area is like five or six hours um, yeah i think i was right at the end of it yeah i think but you said that you were assaulting the tower yeah i was uh pretty much ready to assault the tower but i was also because i showed mercy to the at uh, the and i'm blanking on the group uh but the the, the rebels because i showed them some mercy Mostly because the combat system uh, is like herding cats, and I cannot defeat. Uh, I could not get this one uh, uh, chick to defeat her, so I just let her go at one point, and that showed her enough mercy. Plus, a couple other things I did to possibly set up some sort of uh, you know, double cross. Mm-hmm. But I was, yeah, it was just I had no idea what was going on at that point. Yeah. So let's let's talk a little bit about this idea of you actually getting to be the bad guy. Um, the game itself actually does does let you do that. Like I was worried that it would be like an anti-hero kind of thing. Like, oh, you're kind of a dick, but really you've got a heart of gold or something like that. Yeah, I kind of remember uh, the last game that really proclaimed being the bad guy was Overlord. Overlord, yeah. Where you did not feel like a bad guy. I mean, it's you like, do bad things, but it, you were still, you know, doing good, and it felt weird. It, uh, Overlord was this sort of action RPG slash Pikmin crossover. Yeah. Where it, you controlled your minions to do certain things, and you had different colored minions to, that were able to do uh, different uh, uh, things. But there were things like uh, you would go on quests to help out a town. And it's just, wow. Yeah. In in Overlord, sometimes you were the bad guy, but also there was a bigger, badder guy that you had to defeat to ha- save everyone. And it's like they tried to have their cake and eat it too, and it just didn't work out. In in this, you can totally be the bad guy. You can fucking torture and murder people and lie and betray and steal and double cross and fuck over. Sometimes for no reason. Like, you know, sometimes it's like, well, you know, you can be, you know, quote like the bad guy in order to get something but also you can do it just because um like i remember one time i i ran up on this group of people and they had captured some prisoners and i was talking to all the prisoners i was trying to find out some information and some one of them is like begging for you know begging for her her life and you know i go and i talk to her and um i'm like okay yeah you can live if you murder your two friends and like i gave her a rock and she she chose to bash their head in. And then I killed her anyways. <laughs> Just because. And it, I mean, there's no morality system. Like, it, it does have a system, and we'll talk about it, that, or at least I will in a minute, where it tracks stuff. But there's not really a morality system. It's like, you can be a bad guy. You can be a good guy. Like, whatever. It doesn't matter. Um, but, uh, so yeah, you can totally be a bad guy. Like, an evil dude. Or do dead. I played a girl. I assume that you played a guy, but yeah, I played a guy. I'm not sure if there's much difference uh, gameplay wise, but there could be. I possibly uh, the game actually uh, in the lore, like it says, like this the society that you're from, like Sauron's people, like very egalitarian. Um, the place that you're conquering has got like different caste systems for men and women. But interestingly, it's kind of the reverse role of modern or of our our world. 
like women were the property holders and often the ones who had more power over men in this world. Interesting stuff. But anyways, I mean, like from like a gameplay perspective, as far as I can tell, like I can still like try and fuck anybody that I want to. So, you know, two thumbs up. Yeah, I do think I built out my character a bit incorrectly. I I was wanting to go for an archer, but I ended up with uh, uh, too much uh, melee skills as well. And that also fucked me over in, uh, in my opening stuff, which uh, we can talk a little bit about the skill system and the combat system. So the skill system is heavily linked to, uh, it was what, eight different stats? Yeah. On, on top of, as you do things, you get skill points in that skill, which slowly levels up on its own. But you could also buff after every level one of eight stats, and they're tied to a lot of different skills. Like uh, uh, vitality would, uh, of course, increase your health, but it would also like increase your armor. It could uh, increase one of your uh, weapon skills. It could increase your magic or certain types of magic. And there's a bouncing act of trying to build out your character that I just didn't hit quite right. And this is on top of a fairly substantial talent tree, at least for the player character. Uh, the characters that you run into are a lot more condensed, but the player character has a choice of, I think it's like eight or ten different trees to go down. And they're not blocked off based on your choices either. So if you wanted to, you could make a spell sword, which is uncommon in gaming i uh, yeah i i was i like to do spell sword which is kind of what i was i used two-handed weapons and um touch range spells yeah which the magic system's interesting in this game so you learn runes and different runes impart different effects and then there's modifier runes that uh, change the area of effect uh plus enchantments that or enhancements that i never unlocked so you could make it so that you have a cone-based healing spell that would hit everything in range, but uh, this kind of comes to where I was having trouble with it, was that I gave uh, a couple of my uh, tanks a a healing spell as well to be able to heal themselves every so often, and they would run around and heal the archer and let themselves get a couple free attacks on them to do that because the archer took a couple of hits. And I didn't want to remove the spells from them, but every time I started disabling the AI, it became too micromanagey for me to really want to bother with because it's real time with pause. And all the abilities have a timer on them, which is usually a second or two uh, to go off. So typical auto swing has, a depending on the weapon you use, has a second or two of uh, between attacks. Uh, magic usually has a little bit more. Uh, thrown weapons and uh, ranged weapons have different uh, uh, as well. And it just felt like I was always in the wrong time whenever I paused to be able to set up something without wasting a bunch of time. And, turn, and not disabling the AI, it, like I said, it was hurting cats. It just pissed me the fuck off. Yeah, the combat system is pretty pretty lackluster. Yeah. There was a simple way to queue up actions, but there was no way to like look at your queue and change stuff. So if you make a mistake, then you have to like sort of clear it by choosing to do an action immediately. Um 
I'm assuming that was in one of the uh, in one of the couple hundred tutorials that popped up in the first uh, five minutes of the game, which that's something else that got me was there were so many little mini tutorials, so many little mini tutorials that they all blended together. So I was never clicking on the right buttons that I wanted. Like for example, if I wanted to go to the map, I'd be clicking on the uh, quest one. If I wanted to look at my inventory. I, if I didn't hit just, ah, I was hitting the wrong thing. And just, ugh. Yeah, it was, you hold down shift to mm. queue up actions. But I think like I tried I said, that. Was... And I think I tried that. And since there was no indicator, I didn't think it worked. Yeah. So there's that. Um, but I, I just, like, the AI does have a few specifiers. Like, if one of the characters is, like, actually a designated healer, then you can set them, like, a focus on healing. But yeah, I, like for my tank character, I mean, one, I was I was the main tank being um, a two-hander using heavy weapons and, and melee range spells. Like I was one of the tanks, so I had two tanks in my party. Um, but the other guy that I just left set to AI, I didn't. I, I fa- found after a while to just give him some spells that helped him do a little bit of immediate area control. But he wasn't a, a spellcaster, so he had really weak lore which the lore stat was what determined how powerful spells you could cast. Mm. So he had weak lore and couldn't cast very many powerful spells. And then I was using also characters that you didn't, you, one of them you would have seen the lady uh, with like the white hair, the water mage. Yeah. Uh, You would have met her. I I don't know if you met the siren or not, but you get her in your party. But I think I was also setting up to be able to get one of the redheaded rebel. Yeah. Uh, in my party, because you know, I, I was incidentally merciful to her because she was kicking my ass. <laughs> yeah, I mean it was but. like six or eight on four, and archers are pretty fucking powerful in this game. Well, I should say archers I did not build. <laughs> yeah, and this game follows like a sort of D and D tabletop sort of thing with like, um blocking and disengaging and things like that so if if you screw up either your build or your play like and you constantly wind up having to disengage from attacks they get free instant attacks on you every time that happens and with an archer as far as i could tell from the archer skill tree you don't have a way to engage with multiple opponents at the same time uh there are a couple things that would allow you to hit multiple uh, targets no i'm not not talking about hitting i'm talking about being like an engaged combat with them like so that you can prevent extra free attacks Ah. like with me as a tank character i could like where i am in the game i can be engaged with up to three characters at once so they can't get like flanking and damage bonuses against me yeah uh, i had no well actually no idea on that one which it's like i said (sighs) this was a combination of kind of just lore dump but also tutorial dump of just okay here's this 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 and this it just felt like the pacing on the first five minutes could have been, yeah, like 30. <laughs> yeah, which I I mean, I ate all that up. I loved all the reading, all the lore. I'm trying to think what else there is to really talk about. I, oh, the uh, the system for tracking reputation. Yeah, loyalty and fear. W- yeah, which I like. Um, initially, I tried to only build loyalty and avoid fear, but actually they're not like, it's not like loyalty good, fear bad you get certain abilities for having loyalty and fear both with your companions. 
And there are some negatives. Like if you get loyalty too high, it can be a negative. If you get fear too high, it can be a negative. But, you know, maxing or not, maybe not necessarily maxing, but building both of those is important to unlocking all of your uh, uh, companions abilities. And then the same thing goes for your faction reputation, because you can have, uh, you know, favor with them and they can like you or they can, you know, hate you. And those two stats are not also mutually exclusive. They can both love you and hate you, which I think is interesting, but um, there are perks that you get and bonuses from leveling up those stats with a faction. And yeah, so right. So one of my characters, uh, Verse, mm-hmm. uh, she got her first uh, uh, loyalty one, which I do. I think she's my favorite out of the ones I encountered. Uh, she's basically, you know, a thirteen-year-old that just learned to cuss uh, in full body. Right. <laughs> so every other word is like fuck or fucking or damn. But uh, she got the uh, uh, the ability to. She, uh, it was death from above or something like that where she jumped up and basically slammed down her weapon uh, yeah. for some massive damage, but it was also on a long timer. Was that one of the combo abilities? Uh, no, that wasn't the combo ability. That is something that we haven't talked about, is that all the characters have a combo ability with the main character of uh, varying usability depending on how your character is built. Yeah, those are things that increasing loyalty and or fear can get you our new combo abilities. Yeah, I don't think this was a combo ability, but I could be mistaken on that. Well, there there is one where that you throw verse in the air and she shoots people. Oh, that could have been that. Um, but I didn't use verse very much. Um, she was the first party member that I replaced whenever I had my full cadre. Just because, and not because I didn't like her, she just didn't fit in very well with my party build. Because I've got two tanks and two mages. I, I prefer the spell casting to the uh, the bow. Or well, the bow wasn't art, bad. It's just, it was just I uh, built it improperly. Yeah. But also, I, I just had bad luck with the uh, armor and that stuff. Because up until right before I quit, I got nothing for upgrades. Yep, that is, I think, a thing. I got almost no upgrades until after I completed the intro act. And then when the wider world opens up and you get access to the tower for the first time and some other stuff, it's like, oh, there's a trading town. You can go and get upgrades. Oh, and you can upgrade your armor and weapons. How quaint. But if you can't, I I don't want to say you can't do it, but I mean, I also did not get hardly any upgrades during the the opening chapter yeah which i just found frustrating because it was uh, feeling more like bad luck was holding me back instead of the combat system screwing me over as well yeah. because yo, know, it just whew. yeah so um oh dang it brain i was talking before we got off on what we were talking about i was talking about the reputation system yeah which we covered and bonuses and stuff. Uh, okay, I can't think of anything else that, like, what did you think of this system? Do we need to discuss this? Um, like I said, like, if you, if you, there's so much going on in the story that it would be impossible to explain it all, plus with how personalized each of the individual stories are. Um, I, I, I honestly, like, have, cons- pro- I'm probably going to turn the combat down to easy 
and just yeah. sort of finish it for for the story because I I am very invested in the story and what's going on, but I don't really care for the combat system, um, and what your level is at doesn't seem to make as much of a difference in conversation as the reputation that you have with various factions. I could be wrong about that. With me having like one of the things for conversation is your lore stat, and because I'm you know a battle mage basically, I do have a really high lore stat. So I haven't encountered any kind of skill checks for that stuff that I can't pass. And then I've got a party member that's like super buff. And so any athletics based checks, I also haven't seemed to be able to fail those either. So I'm I'm seriously considering just turning down the combat and not worrying about it to finish the yeah. story. I'm very interested in the story, but you know, other than that, I don't know what else to talk about it. I mean, I liked it quite a bit but this is the type of game that i really like with huge story and thanks to divinity um that you know when we first played that a couple years ago i have gotten accustomed to playing crpgs because that used to be not something that i was really interested in well uh you're welcome we're going to play divinity original sin 2 at some point yes indeed whenever you want to start it like i said before you can be the main character since i've beaten the game and i'll just tag along and and check all my on f- and check out my poor choices. Oh yeah, and and set everything on fire, cursed fire specifically. I don't know if you've ran into that or not yet. Not really. I only played a little bit of it. Oh boy, you'll hate me for cursed fire. Oh boy. Although you can make blessed fire, which is really helpful. So, but eh, that's for divinity. Um. Do you said you recognize that it's a good game? I'm assuming yeah. that you would recommend it to the type of person that this sort of thing appeals to. Yeah, more? if uh, yeah, especially if uh, I'm going to borrow your uh, term from uh, Hydradier. If uh, the idea of a wall of text that you spend an hour and a half uh, going through the lore of this world and the backstory and uh, who all the people are or all the major players before you even get done making your damn character and go for it. If you like me, keep a wiki page open to some of your favorite universes. You will love this. Specifically. You... I have Sarna.net open right now. Just the battle tech wiki. If you look at the star Wars movies and you know, the backstories of more than three side characters, <laughs> right? Yes. Which I do. If you look at if you if where they're just detailing the uh, the uh, the attack on the Death Star, and you look around at all the pilots, and you're able to name all of them and know their backstories, there you go, right? Yes, indeed. So you're basically, smiling. if you're like me, this is a game for you. Yep, pretty I much. Can't, I can't name all the Rebel pilots, but I know a few of them. Well, I know Porkins. <laughs> Porkins. Porkins. So yeah. And I, and then I this is this was my jam. I love the evil bit. Um, although I suppose if you you know there is a way to play it without being so evil. But if that yeah. idea like sort of makes you feel sick to your stomach, you you might actually want to avoid this because what I what I said earlier about having someone bash in their friends' heads with a rock and then murdering them just for shits and giggles. That's honestly not even up in the top 10 bad things I've done in the game so far. And I, based on taking a look at the wiki and like the story flow chart, I'm only about halfway through the game. So two thumbs up for evil. But if that doesn't strike your fancy, 
you might want to. Well, well you can play it as sort of an anti-hero. I think I'm setting it up for, like I said, uh, try to take on the big bad. Yeah, it seems like you have ha- are going to choose like the sort of the rebel route where you yourself become your own faction. I sided with the disfavored. Um, so you favored them. I did. I favored the disfavored. That was a little bit weird. It's like you have gained favor with the disfavored every time something would pop up. I got used to it after a while, but it was very strange to read that at first. But yeah, they like me. Their big, buff, sexy man general likes me. Yeah, but the thing is, you need a can opener to have some fun with them. That's fine. <laughs> Get him out of there at some point. But anyways, yeah, that uh, is tyranny. Two thumbs up from me. Like a uh, I would say, side from you. Uh, I, I, it's a, eh, you know, uh, that kind of hand, uh, hand wiggle. Yeah. Uh, I think if... Like I said, if it you know, was a different time, then it may have struck more of a chord with me. But right. it's just, damn. <laughs> right. So. Uh, yeah, it just kind of overflowed so much that I actually felt sleepy playing it because I had no idea what the fuck. Fair enough. Um, That brings us to what our next game club is going to be, which is Gears Tactics. So July Game Club, Gears Tactics. If you have Xbox Game Pass or have considered getting it, it is available through that. That's how both of us are going to be playing it. Although I do believe it's available for purchase on Steam. Microsoft has put most of their PC games or most of the games that they have on PC on Steam. I'm just going to double check that right now. Yeah, Gears Tactics is on Steam. Currently, it's 30% off or 33% off, um, which makes it $40. So... I guess we'll figure out if it's worth it. I mean, I'm look at the skill tree. That's rather impressive. For what? Gears Tactics? Yeah. More of a choice than just, okay, you have these two choices as you level up. Yeah. I, I've played a little bit of it to test it out. I'm in somewhere in the in the first chapter after the first couple of training missions. Um, yeah, I always wanted so to, yeah, I always wanted to play a refrigerator, and now's my chance. Get to play a squad of refrigerators. Except for the lady. She's not a fridge. She's a normal uh, well, person. Well, well, I believe a, a squad of uh, refrigerators is called a Frigidaire. <laughs> oh, my. I must be tired. That joke landed really well. I would have chuckled no matter what, but I think my sleepiness is promoted. It's Oh, I like this. <laughs> goodness. But yeah, Gears Tactics for July. Um, I don't know how long the game is. I think it's got three acts. Um, it's probably... I'm guessing a 12 to 15 hour campaign. How long to beat? Um, oh, yeah. Okay. So this is main story, 23 hours. So that's actually pretty good. Um, that's, you know, the average 23 hours, but we'll see. I usually take a lot longer to do stuff. Well, you have to get the can up, right? That's true. Then it's getting told still, right? Indeed. Um, so that will bring us to the only news topic we have decided to do for the night. Uh, you wanted to talk about this. Um, Amazon. Oh, what? I was going to say Amazon is yanking the struggling free to play shooter Crucible back into a closed beta. I thought you were handing it off to me there. Oh, no. Yeah, no, you're good. And I say to that, Amazon has a shooter. Oh, it's more Amazon has a release shooter because I knew they, they were doing a MMO shooter at some point. I'd never heard of this one. I mean, have you? I'd have even uh, heard of it in passing. 
if I saw or heard anything about it, it didn't, it just went in and out of my brain. I had no memory or recognition of this whenever I saw it on the topics list. I genuinely thought, wait, Amazon has a shooter like amazon.com Amazon. And it's yes, Amazon that, that Amazon. I do know that Amazon has some games Yeah, that they have some games that they've made, but I mean, I didn't know that this was their game. I mean, this is an unprecedented uh, uh, Final Fantasy fourteen. I did have to go looking for uh, game examples. Honestly, Final Fantasy fourteen went back to the drawing board at one point, uh, rather successfully. Um, uh, Anthem is in the process of going back to the drawing board. We'll see if anything happens with that. So, you know, there is a history of games, you know, unreleasing, uh, but then we're having the issue of them cutting two-thirds of their content because their player base pretty much just congregated around this one mode out of three, which it's a 2v2, or sorry, a a 4v4, teams of four, uh, hunt, trying to kill uh, a poor defenseless animal in a Battle Royale-esque mode. It was, of course, right? Right. And it's just, uh, uh, there's a lot of buzzwords surrounding the game modes, isn't there? Yeah. Here's, I mean, this could go one of two ways. Um, I, don't, I don't really feel like there's a middle ground for this. Either they pull it back, and regardless of whether or not it comes back out, whatever they do is is fruitless, and it just dies on the vine. Or they pull it back in, they reconsolidate, this focus actually brings some positive change to the game and it re-releases and becomes, and I'm going to make air quotes here, successful. I don't know what their measure of success would be, but successful. And then it could grow into, you know, a, I a mean, classic or even like a really popular game. I mean, this feels a lot like Evolve uh, meets Battle Royale, doesn't it? Only yeah. instead of somebody controlling the hunt or the animal, it's just damn uh, I'm trying to see what the release date of this was. May 21st. Okay, so so May 21st, they had quite the number. They had just over 10,000 and then fucking plummeted. Let's put it this way, 10,000. And then by May 28th, one week after, they were down to 2,400. That's a drop. Yeah. yeah I mean, this uh, is a, a good time. And from a world perspective to release a free-to-play game like a lot of people still at home Maybe yeah but i'm just looking at these still a lot yeah but i'm just also looking at these packs i mean they're also selling founders packs uh uh the tracker founders pack bundles up exclusive epic skin for captain menzia 500 in-game credits and the preseason battle pass and a hundred Battle stars, uh, battle stars. Uh, uh, that, how are you going to fit a hundred Galacticas in your room? <laughs> Very carefully. Uh, no with, en- with, enough, with you, uh, with enough to uh, instantly unlock ten levels of rewards, and that's fifteen bucks. They're selling a fifty version, a fifty dollar version of the same thing. Where, as far as I can tell, it's pretty much you add a couple extra skins and more stuff. They're not even doing the, you know, pay once, uh, you know, 30 bucks and you get everything for all the unlocks for life. You know, all the characters that they're going to 
inevitably released because, of course, they are. It's just yeah. Looking at this game, looking at the screenshots, looking at the the trailer videos and stuff, it looks super generic. Like if this game had come out like ten years ago. Oh, good. I'm glad I'm not the only one thinking this uh, because I looked at the trailer on one of these uh, articles. It's just it, it's 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 kind of uh, the uh, epitome of uh, design by committee, huh? Yeah, in a vacuum, like if you had no knowledge or experience with video games, you would look at this, I think, and be impressed. Or if this game had came out 10 years ago, you would be like, wow, this is amazing. Then in a world where um, we have so many hero shooters, this is just bland, generic McFormula shooter. I mean, the, uh, the, the twist is that you're also trying to kill an NPC, uh, NPC raid boss, essentially, while also taking out the enemy team. Yeah. So there, so there is a slight twist on that, but it's just, I mean, all these characters look like they could be in literally a half a dozen games. Yeah. And they all fit your stereotypes. You've got your, like, cute animal-looking thing. Yeah, I was going to say... Uh, rough the, gun guy. Yeah. The serious commando. Yeah, but hey, the big gruff gun guy... He has a red hat on. <laughs> oh, damn. So he looks like a redneck trucker. Never seen that before in a game. Now I'm just being a dick. Yeah, pretty much. I've slid from sleepy, wacky Jared to like sleepy, grumpy Jared or something. I don't know. I mean, I'm just looking at the reviews and it looks like they released this way, way, way early. A lot of poor optimization uh, 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 post on here talking about 30, 40 FPS. Uh, poorly executed design by committee algorithm of a game. Uh, yeah. Uh, poor FPS, poor FPS. Uh, the game sucks. It makes me sad because I wanted a spiritual successor to Super Monday Night Combat. Oh, that's where I just feel so familiar. Super Monday Night Combat. Or Monday Night Combat. Yeah, I guess the even, even that camera, even like that, that it looks. Carry on. Don't mind me. Well, I was going to say, even though that wasn't Battle Royale, that was more uh, Dota-esque uh, with the, some tower defense thrown in, but it's the same uh, kind of feel to it. Yeah, I'm, I played some Monday Night Combat. Yeah, I miss Monday Night Combat. Oh, look, there's the ninja. Of course. <laughs> of course there's a fucking ninja. Yeah. But anyway, they are also, like I said, axing two of the game modes. Uh, which, uh, let's see, da, 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 da. retiring two of its three game modes as it, and uh, because they want to desi- uh, refine the design of the core systems without compromises. That just tells me the game was poorly balanced to begin with. Because you can have a shooter where there's several very different game modes. Let's pick one almost at random. Team Fortress 2. There's obviously some design choices uh where they're favoring certain game modes or certain uh, roles. Uh, for example, the engineer is very good at defense, uh, point defense. Uh, but there's also hard counters to that. However, they also build it where all the characters have sub-roles. So there's a, a sub-role of the engineer where instead of having very large nests where they sit down and camp for the next you know, 10 minutes... Uh, they're more active uh, on the field and uh, combo with smaller sentries to be able to have a more active offensive role. 
this this just sounds like they didn't really consider yeah certain characters would be vastly overpowered in a certain game mode compared to another so let's see when crucible was announced back in 2016 well boy this has been known about for two years but not by us it seems it was touted as one of the last standing third person shoot or sorry last one standing for third person shooter but developed relentless uh, told uh, Eurogamer last month uh, things shifted dramatically during development by the time Crucible launched in, uh, on May 20th. Uh, it had morphed into a team-based shooter closer to a MOBA, featuring three distinct modes. The Alpha Hunter mode is designed to offer Battle Royale-esque fight for survival against seven other uh, teams of two, while the Harvester Command sees two uh, teams of eight players attempting to capture and hold uh, control points around the map, and the last up is Heart of the Hives, pinning players not only against uh, other teams, but giant creatures that dropped uh, hearts upon defeat with the winning team uh, the first to secure three hearts. Well, they're killing everything but the Heart of the Hives mode, right? Yeah. It's just because they can't balance around three game modes. That doesn't bode well to me, does it? Uh, does it you? No, not at first glance, but like I said, I mean, you know, they might bring it in and retooling like that might turn out to be a, a good thing for them, focusing up, I mean, kind of that whole, like, feature creep idea or... Yeah, which... You know, whatever. Yeah, it, yeah, it, which, yeah we're going to have to... Talk, time, but... Yeah, we're, we're, yeah, we're going to have to talk about feature creep at uh, some point. Uh, even though, you know, the, the most obvious example of that doesn't count because they turn feature creep into a business model. <laughs> Indeed. Indeed. Um, yeah. I mean, I, you know, I wish the devs all the best for making this work, but I mean, with Amazon, with Amazon backing them, who knows what will happen. Amazon is one of the biggest companies in the world. And depending on how intent they are into breaking into this whole video games thing, you know, they could spend ungodly amounts. I mean, they could spend serious fuck you money on this, but Amazon is also a shitty company and Jeff Bezos sucks. Yeah. So who knows what they will actually do. So I wish the devs the best. Um, good luck making your game better boys and girls. Cause you're totally listening right now. You can do it. I won't be playing. They're, they're it not, I'm not interested, but you not, can do it. They're not uh, listening and no, they can't do it. Let's be perfectly realistic here. You're right. They're not listening. But they can do it. I believe in you, devs. Feel my good vibes. Feel my passion. Uh, and don't even need the canopy for that one. Nope. Peel it right off. Don't need any scissors. No can opener. Uh, uh, do not want. No tools of any kind. Just brain bleach. Don't even have to have hands. I'll do it. Oh, put it back on. Put it back on. <laughs> Oh, alrighty. Given the fact that it's twelve thirty, um, I think that we should skip Discovery Q this week. What do uh, you? Think? Yeah, okay. Uh, we'll have uh, Discovery Q and probably talk about some uh, picks for Steam games uh, for the last bit of the sale. Because I sure. think we'll no, we won't have uh, time for that. Never mind. So, and we didn't talk about that beforehand, so can't really do that now. We can talk about what we picked up next week, I guess. Indeed. Alrighty. Rage, hit him with the socials. Well, there also was nothing for the community corner, 
But if you wish to contribute to that, VGL uh, podcast at gmail.com or tweet us VGL podcast on the Twitter. But as for the socials, I've been Caffeine Rage. You can find me on Twitter, Game of CR, be my friend on Steam, Caffeine Rage, uh, blah, blah, blah. What about you? <laughs> Gaming psychologist. Find me on the YouTubes by searching for that and on Twitter at JMA4707 and on Steam at JArthur4707. And if you also let me know exactly what episode of the podcast you're coming from, the password for this week is... <laughs> <laughs> Maniacal laughing. Exactly. I, I like mean, that. I mean, it seemed like the only possible one we could do, right? Yeah, it fits. And if it fits, you sit. Indeed. And we're quickly getting off the rails. So as always, and I actually closed out of the thing because I was closing too many tabs. Because of course I was. Uh, you could reach us once again, Podcast at gmail.com with your letters, voicemails, game-related topics, or tweet them to us, Podcast on the Twitter. Our lovely, lovely patrons somehow put up with us. You can find out more at patreon.com slash VGL podcast. And our lovely patrons also provide us with our website, vglpodcast.podbead.com, which hosts the show notes, our RSS feed, links to all our stuff, or you can find us on your podcatcher of choice. Our intro director music is underground, McKen McLeod, and you can find his work over at incompetech.com. And as always, as his lovely music starts to roll across my voice, bye bye now. See you next time. Bye-bye.